Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. All right, it is the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to David Locke coming up here momentarily. Get Locke's thoughts on uh, what's going on with the Utah Jazz as we uh, have a preseason game coming up on Saturday, Gordon. It's wild. It's right around the yeah. corner. Yeah, right there. Uh, I, uh, we're going to have the game for you right here on the Zone Sports Network, and uh, it, it's uh, it's here, and it's going to be fast and furious. No all-star break this year, Gordon. They're just going to pound out those games, man. Are you ready for it, Jake? You ready for all those uh, pre-half and posts? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm uh, prepared. I mean, uh, nothing feels normal. Starting in in December doesn't feel normal per se, but uh, I, I I think it's admirable the way the NBA has turned around this season and stayed on the same page with the players, and they're going to pull it off. I, it, it, not easy. I give them a lot of credit. I don't think we'll see baseball again for maybe a couple of years. <laughs> Oh man, I hope I hope it could be worked out. But anyway, uh, I've always enjoyed listening to those shows, and on the few occasions when I participate, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, you uh, you were a big part of the playoff coverage last year. What a what a wild time when we're doing playoff games at one uh, thirty p.m. Gordon, <laughs> just, just <laughs> such an odd time in life, let alone sports. All right, uh, of course, his weekly interview is brought to you by our friends at the Murdoch Auto Group. Let's get out of the zone phone now. Radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke with us. David, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing terrific. Uh, uh, Gordon just asked me this question. Let me ask you, are you ready? Are you prepared? I know it feels a little weird, but are you ready to go? I'm, I'm trying to get there. I've got a few days left. I'm beginning to get you know, fired up a little bit and prep to finish my jazz prep and start into my Phoenix Suns prep and... Um, you know, usually I, uh, take a few months and do every, you know, do a really big deep dive on every team. And, you know, just cause there's not a lot going on in September and October, we didn't have that this year. Things were a little different. So in that sense, it's, I'm not as, you know, the, the pattern for the same thing for all the players, right? The pattern by which you're getting ready is not the same. So David, uh, I've had this conversation with Bowler before, but, uh, you guys make it seem like you just know all this stuff, and and, and that's real talent to do that. But the, you hide the hard work that goes in to to a broadcast. Can you be a little more specific about some of the things you do when when you're preparing? Oh, I mean, I, you know, I've got it at 12 years now. I think it is. I've got pretty well got a system. Um, I'm visual, um, and so I have a. Microsoft Word document that has little squares and boxes, and each box has a has a meaning to it. And then each box actually a little bit as the on the bottom half, each box has a website. So you know, one might be notes I'm getting from Basketball Reference, or something I might be getting from you know Synergy, or something I might be getting from Cleaning the Glass, or there's certain specific things. And then you know, so that's the background to try to understand how, what the team is, how they play, your own team. And, and individual, and then then I go to the player notes, where you're just trying to know the trends of each player, and I like to know, you know, Ron's great at where they shoot on the floor and um, some of those things, and then and then you're trying to figure out scenarios, right? So how do they have certain quarters they're better? What about lineup groupings? Um, how are they in the clutch? Like you just try to anticipate 
what's gonna, what's going on. The thing I do that might be different than other broadcasters um, is that usually after shoot around, after I go to our shoot around, which obviously this year will be different, um, I'll go call the call the opponent's last game. So if we were, you know, you can't do that obviously for a first preseason game, but when we're playing Portland on opening night, I'll if Portland's last game was televised, I'll go call sometimes the whole game, usually just the first half, maybe maybe sometimes just the first and fourth quarters because most teams substitution patterns in the first and third quarter are the same and second and fourth quarter. So if I call the first and the fourth, I can see their substitution patterns and who's on the floor. And then as you're calling that – you realize where the gaps in your information are. And then the other thing is, I believe, is that it's, if you've already said something once, it's easier to remember it and to say, to say it again. At least that's how it works for me. So, if, you know, I have a note on Dane Lillard that he's particularly hot on catch-and-shoot threes. Then if I've already said, oh, Lillard right side three, it's good. Oh, he's 25 as last 37 on catch-and-shoot threes. Well, you know, I'm going to probably get that out in the broadcast um, a little bit. And then there's – the last step, not that anyone really cares, but the last step is a narrow focus in which you just have too much information at that point. So what are the three themes of the broadcast? What are the, you know, if someone's listening, what are the three things they need to make sure they know? And then, you know, if there's two or three things on one or two of their main players, like you've got the, the, the have to mention list. If, if I get through all my prep, then I'll usually have a note card next to me or I have a one sheet that has, you know, maybe 10 little notes on it. And throughout the night, I'm checking that to make sure I get all those in. So that's the process. Um, it's been pretty consistent for the last three years now. It's kind of zeroed in on it. And I usually fiddle in the off season and change stuff. And I didn't, I have not the last two. David, what's the biggest question in your mind about this jazz team that you're looking forward to being answered when we finally see them play? So, uh, two, uh, one is, so we made the offensive paradigm shift last year, right? And that, and it worked, right? We were the number one offensive team after getting Jordan from December 24th till the stoppage of play. And so if you kind of think of what, what those shifts were, we went from defensive Dante Exum, complete non-offense, all defense Dante Exum to Jordan Clarkson. And we went from Jay Crowder, that was mostly defense, not particularly good offense, to Boyan Bogdanovich. And we went from Ricky Rubio, who was not particularly good offense, good defense, to Mike Conley. So we made three massive paradigm shifts from defense to offense, and it worked. We went and became the number one offensive team in the league. Now what we've done is we've added favors with the hope of bringing back the number one defensive unit that we had in the past. Derek Favors was on the floor with Jay Crowder for virtually every minute of that season when Ricky Rubio, when, when Rudy Gobert was not on the floor. So who's that? Because that's George Niang now. Maybe? Like, that's not Jay Crowder, right? Like, that's not a, like, so, and frankly, if that's your other, you know, shift off the bench, that's a, you know, we really kind of went from Boy, from Favors to Boyan and from Crowder to Niang, like, right? So we made four paradigm shifts toward offense. Can we, you know, we've put in favors with the idea that it's going to fix the defense, but how important was Jay Crowder and Ricky Rubio and those other players of that defense? That's the biggest question that I have because it's not just sticking Derek favors back in Tony Bradley's spot in that unit to say, Oh, they're going to be great defensively because the other players around him aren't as good defensively as the players that Derek favors was playing with. Interesting. So David, of all the players who are, have in the past, have not yet emerged, have not been depended upon. If you had to pick one 
that may fill a role like that this year? Who would you pick? So I'll take the two second-round picks from last year. Um, Terrell Brantley's really interesting to me. Um, I, I'm a, there's a cautiousness with this. Um, I've told this story a lot. There, it actually is my Julius Randle story. I was watching Julius Randle in college at Kentucky, or maybe even his rookie year, and I was talking to a scout, and I talked about how much I liked Julius Randle, and he asked me why. And I gave him all the list of the things I liked about Julius Randle. And he says, that's great. He does all those things well. And there's somebody on the floor that does them better than him. There better be somebody on the floor who does all those things better than him for your team. So the fact that, like, he's 6'9 and can bring the ball up the floor, that's great. But you should have a point guard. Right? The fact that he can, like, rebound and go and lead the break, great. But we should actually have some guys. The fact that at the time he could shoot a little bit from the outside, great. But I'd rather have four other guys in the floor shoot and he's going to be so dominant he's doing all those things now Jarrell's not that so but it does like the, all the things that really I think are really cool about Jarrell are his uniqueness his body size his ability to handle his natural passing his ability to pass off the pick and roll his ability to go take someone into the post and dish out of it and distribute he's pretty good defensively like frankly we don't have anybody that can, he's probably the guy who if you got to muscle up on Harden or LeBron or someone else, he might be the guy. And and that's actually the one specific skill I can say, okay, I can actually implement that skill and use it. All the other things I really love about him are not things that I can naturally see how they fit. Now, we're pretty egalitarian in how we run our offense and things, so maybe he'll be able to use them more. So I think Brantley's pretty interesting. Now, if George hits 44% of his threes again this year, like it doesn't matter because that's just a huge skill and you just got to roll with with that because George hit – George shot five percentage points better than an average shooter would have on the same shots last year. That's a huge number. Um, the other one is I think Mia Oni has a chance to play. Um, the, when, when I go to there, and I think he has a chance to be really successful, Quinn's system gets open looks. Royce O'Neal has taken the, the most open looks of any player in the NBA. Or let me rephrase that. I said that wrong. Royce O'Neal's looks have been at the highest percentage of anyone in the league over the last three years. So Royce's catch-and-shoot threes are the best catch-and-shoot looks of any player in the NBA over the last three years. Now, partially because Royce is pretty selective and he only shoots it when he's really open and otherwise he drives, so understand that. But those are the looks you get from that position, and if Mia Oni is playing that position a little bit, Oni's going to not be able to knock down some of those shots. He's extended his range from what I've heard from outside of the corners to above the break and is playing better. So those those two, um, I expect zero, absolutely zero, from Elijah Hughes and Azabuke because they haven't played a game since March. They didn't get a summer league. They didn't walk through the systems. They did, you know, in the summer league, it's not the summer league games. It's the two weeks of training camp before summer league. They didn't get a full training camp. They didn't get the month of OTAs before training camp. They didn't get any of the things that young players need. If they're going to play, they're going to do it on pure natural skill and just make plays, and maybe that's going to happen, but it's not going to be able to be someone who's out there playing inside of the system and understanding how it works or comfortable without thinking a great deal. So I would go to Oni and Brantley as the two. Sorry, that was really long. (laughs) David, I want to ask you a non-jazz question uh, here for a second, but uh, I I thought about you when Gordon and I were talking about this the other day. So you uh, have uh, thoroughly illustrated James Harden's value many times. I've, I've heard you do it. I've heard you uh, call him maybe the best offensive player of all time um, and, and really have done a good job illustrating his value. Given what he has put the Houston Rockets through over the past few years and specifically now, is he worth it? 
Probably. Um, I mean, he's great. You know, the question on James has always been what we saw this week. The nightlife, the commitment. You know, there's the story when they were up on us that he flew to Vegas for a night before going back to Houston. Um, you know, that stuff is out there. Um, he's, you know, that stuff was out there and Gary Payton was pretty flipping good too, right? So, um, you know, every player deals with their own way of getting ready for games and getting for stuff, and it's pretty hard to criticize anything you've ever seen on the floor with Harden. Um, and I have a hard time believing that Harden's playoff failures are related to that in some way. So, you know, what he's mad about right now is he wants to be traded. Um, otherwise, you know, I mean, certainly they acquiesced to him in Houston at a pretty high level under Mike D'Antoni in his style. And so I think the next question is, can he play back in the style he played at Oklahoma City or somewhere else? Or has he become so enamored with being the 34-point-a-game guy that he has to have the ball in his hands on every play? Or can he, you know, because he is a, he's a brilliant passer. He's a basketball genius. He's an unbelievable scorer. He's an amazing shot creator. He's, you know, as good isolation players are in the league, in a league that's picking up isolation importance. Um, so he's amazing. And But could he play and let somebody else handle, and could he play off the ball, and does he not need as much would be the question. But I'd take him. David, uh, I heard Quinn today talk about, uh, no big surprise here, but the Jazz defensively, they build off of Rudy Gobert. But if I were to ask you, will you list the, in order the top five defensive players the Jazz have, what, what direction would you go? The top what, five? The top five, starting with Rudy, obviously. Uh, Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. End of list. That's it? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, probably. There's nobody else, huh? Well, I mean, it's really hard. So, like, you saying that there's – I mean, I guess, like, you know, your your question was totally fair, right? Your question's like, the five best. Um, and it's just so hard. So, I mean, the answer, you know, at some point, the easy answer is you go to Royce and you go to Joe and then you probably – go to Mia Oni at that point. Um, though I think Brantley actually has a chance because he's physically so gifted. Um, but my point in the way I answered it is there are so few good defensive players. Um, and frankly, Favors' defensive stats last year in New Orleans last year are not great. Like, defensive stats are hard to run by. Like, his plus minus is great. His rim defense was not very good last year. It was on the bottom half of the league. Um, so... You know, statistically, I don't. I think he's still a really good defensive player. I'm not changing my viewpoint on faves, but I mean, it's hard to find statistically who's a good defensive player and who's not. Um, but it's also just like, I mean, Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal are good, but like Jamal Murray wasn't really very bothered, was he? Right? Like so, <laughs> like in Norris Dame Lillard, like at this, you know, you get a big, you set a pick on those guys, and like you're off to the races. And so, I I don't necessarily know. You know, OG Ananobi is big enough that he changes the game defensively, right? Like Giannis Adekumbo is long enough and as a secondary rim defender, he changes the game defensively. Um, sometimes I think Jalen Brown could be that good um, if he if he wanted to be. Um, 
you know, so I, I think of it more, I mean, that's just to me is how special, you know, Anthony Davis in the playoffs certainly was that, was that guy. Marcus Smart gets up into you in a, in a unique manner, but that that's about it, right? Like, like if you want to start getting into like the amount of like wing defenders in this league that really impact the ball and impact the game, like am I at Marcus Smart? Patrick Beverly, OG Ananobi, and that's it? Kawhi Leonard? With all the great athletes in the league, David, is that a matter of is that a matter of ability or is it a matter of attitude? No, I mean the the ball the guys with the ball are great. And then you can set a pick, right? So when you set a pick, it just changes you can get a pretty friend. You know who's a really good defensive player? He might be the worst offensive player in the league, is Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn's super good defensively. Um, but, like, Drew Holiday is thought of as, like, this elite defensive player. and I, Yeah, I don't see it. Like, um, I mean, I and it's not that I don't see that he's, like, he's really good and he had a great, you know, everyone talks about the great series he had against Dame Lillard when New Orleans won that series. Yeah, like, they double-teamed Dame every time he got the ball. Like, that's what they did that series, right? So... I just and I, I just think this is what makes Rudy so awesome is like when you talk about Rudy and the fact that Rudy can the Jazz are the only team in the NBA that's in the top five not allowing shots at the rim and not allowing threes. Well that's just because of Rudy. Like that's just simply because of Rudy. Um and you know, and Quinn's systems, right? But because of Rudy. Um when you think about, uh, okay, now let's get to guys who have actually defend, according to NBA stats, five shots a game. There's only two guys that held players under 51% last year, Brooke Lopez and Rudy Gobert. Like, you know, I mean, like, these, you know, Rudy's just incredible. So, you know, Rudy is like the one in the league who denies, who changes your shot profile and then denies the shot. Like, that's, that's really, really, that's different stuff. Right, like that's different stuff. David, thank maybe you. I should give. By the way, I just pulled it up. Maybe I should give Drew Holiday a little bit more credit because Dame only went for twenty and eighteen and twenty four and twenty six the last four times they played each other. Now he dropped forty one the time before that, but um, you know, maybe maybe Holiday actually had, does better, does actually a good enough job on Dame. He's that special. I mean, that one's interesting to watch because Eric Bledsoe was all defensive team last year and they traded the him for Drew Holiday. So it'll be interesting to see what impact that has on Milwaukee's defense. I've got one more follow-up, if you don't mind, Jake. Um, Last year, David, uh, Jake and I had a sort of a little bet going about how many points Donovan would average in the coming season. I think I went too high, and so Jake won the bet. What do you think he'll average this year, and does it it matter? He thinks, by the way, he, he just yeah. he thinks that's the case, Jake. So you won like handily. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, he did. Yeah, <laughs> very much. Gordon, Gordon so, thought he was going to score like thirty points a game last no, year. No, it's not so, what I said. I said twenty six or 20. no, you so did I've, not. I, I, I've said I think he's totally capable of scoring thirty points a game. Um, so in that sense, I agree with Gordon. I don't know that our roster, with as much offensive firepower as it has, is going to allow him to score thirty points a game. Oh, okay. Um. But I do, I do think he's – now, the thing about scoring 30 points a game is the burden on doing that for an entire season is astronomical. You know, he did average 36 in 
and against Denver, unique. I mean, really bad defensive center, and you're running a lot of stuff to get him open and getting switched. And you know, the Jazz did a pretty masterful job offensively. But if there's a uniqueness to that matchup, um, so he averaged 24 both the last two years. Um, it's hard. Like he's capable of going to 26 to 28, but you got to go take those points from someone. Right, and so to me that's a little tricky. If we didn't lose anyone in our offense, and and so if I'm trying to figure out like who am I taking? You know, Boyan averaged 20 last year. Like, am I taking shots from Boyan? I don't really want to do that. Conley averaged 14. I'm not taking him down to 10. Clarkson averaged 15. I, I think he's probably still getting his. Like Joe's giving up a point. Royce goes to five. Like maybe, but. Not as though he's going to get more time. I, so it's hard for me to see. The, the uptick for Donovan is going to be that he's, he took 19 shots and he had about five free throw attempts. So if you think about that, he had about 23 scoring opportunities in a night. Can he turn that into 17 shots and eight free throws? And now he, he goes up a point and a half because of the fact that he's taking those free throws instead of shots he's making at a lower rate. That, that would be so. I, I don't see him getting a ton more uh, shots. David, thanks for jumping on with us, man. Appreciate it. And uh, hey, I look forward to, to talking to you on Saturday. It's going to be fun right. to get back at it, man. 20, 25 points a game, Donovan Mitchell over under. 25? Mm-hmm. Over. The more shots thing is, is uh, I think you're right on the money. That has me pausing. Because, uh, you know, Mike Conley, Bogdanovich back into the lineup at the same time. They both play well. How will that affect it? 25 is a good number. I'll take it. Probably from Vegas, I got to set it at 26 because I got to get some people to go under. I don't uh, think I'm a lot of people under at 25. Yeah, I was going to say I'll go over, but not by, not by a ton. Right. So if I go to 26, where are you going, Gordon? Oh, well, Gordon's I'm a little uh, I'm a little shy about this after uh, being wrong last year, but uh, I I just think that he will be such a focal point of the offense that he'll have greater opportunity. And I think you bring up a great point, David, and that is if his body can take the beating of getting hit uh, on his way to the basket or in his shots, then uh, those are easy points. So maybe maybe he'll go to the line more. 25.5 is the new Vegas line. Where are you going? I'm going over. Mm. I feel like I should go under just for fun. But it's <laughs> uh, it's about right there for me. I didn't see I, – I, I, I'm with you, David. I think Donovan is, is capable of, of scoring 30 points a game, absolutely. But I don't, I don't know if, if this offensive system is really set up to, to have him do that. I mean, it's so much more of a ball movement kind of thing, and there are other mouths to feed. As you mentioned, the paradigm shift last year going from defensive players to offensive players, those are those are guys that need touches and shots. So, But he has a mantle of leadership now that I th- – and I know he stresses looking, looking, being court awareness and all that stuff, but he – I think he sees himself now as the leader. And, uh, but he's not a comes... ball hog, though. No, he's not a ball hog. I, I get that. But I, And I he just... took 20 shots a game last year. So No, I, mean... I know. I just saw what I saw in the bubble, and I know it was weird. And I know Boyam wasn't involved in that. But uh, I, I, I agree with you completely, David. He's, He's got the capability of doing more.
Warriors, he's dialed in, baby. He is dialed in and ready to go. Thank you, David. We appreciate you. Okay. See you. It's our friend David Locke, uh, his weekly appearance, brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Group. We'll have uh, sounds of various clips coming up next. Stay tuned. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. If you missed yesterday's uh, sounds uh, uh, of various uh, clips, then you won't know exactly what we're talking about right now. But that is definitely appointment radio, isn't it? Show Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for Drop the Day, also known as Sounds of Various Clips. Ready to go, Gordon? Yes, I am. Let's do it. Okay, so this is an anniversary of a story that uh, I, I did not remember. But it seems like something I should have. Uh, set this up a little bit, Austin. Yeah, it's eight years ago today. Uh, it went absolutely viral eight years ago. The I, Most people will hear me say this phrase and know exactly what I'm talking about. The Ikea monkey. Okay. The setting is an Ikea store in Toronto. And the news report will take it from there, I think. He's a tiny ball of fur that's creating a huge stir after some outrageous monkey business at a Toronto Ikea. Dressed in his winter best, he escaped from a car into the parking lot, then inside, the video has gone viral. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's a monkey. And then my sister was like, is that real? We just thought it was fake. It was a small monkey wearing a coat and like a diaper. This is so weird. Why is there a monkey at Ikea? The little guy didn't get to do any shopping, though. He was soon cornered by security guards. He looks in great shape. He was then taken into custody by Toronto Animal Services. So who is this diminutive showstopper making international news? His name, Darwin. His type, recess macaque. His status, illegal. His owner was found, fined, and signed him over to the city. The owner has told us that he was born in Montreal. He's about seven months old. He's very tiny. Um, he's not very happy right now. So uh, he's comfortable, but he's, uh, you know, he's having kind of a bad day. Darwin's bad day has been a field day for social media, which has gone bananas over his exploit. Hmm. Of course, the... Typical news reporter has to throw in a bad pun at the end. But. Yeah, not good. But this little tiny macaque monkey uh, uh, was uh, the inspiration for a winter coat that you see being sold for literally hundreds of dollars on the upper end fashion uh, uh, line still to this day. I can't remember who came out with it first, Dolce maybe, but it is, it's a tan kind of pea coat. With the faux fur on the collar and the wrists, and it's got like eight big white buttons down the middle. He inspired that fashion look eight years ago today. I have never seen or known anybody who's had a monkey as a pet. Well, that's good because that, they'd be criminals. Is that illegal? Yeah. But not. where was this? This was in Toronto. It was also illegal there. Oh. They get a ticket? Well, that the lady <laughs> with the uh, Toronto Animal Services said that they were in contact with the owner and got all the information but I could see let me Gordon. see let me see how this works you're you're in prison right you're you're in a cell and your cellmate says what are you in for and the other guy says monkey business oh, that's worse than the going bananas comment
like way worse. So l- let me get this straight. You can't own a monkey as a pet in, in the United States, but if uh, if uh, Gordon's doppelganger, Joe Exotic, taught us anything, you can just own tigers, apparently. If you're a zookeeper and have a license as a zookeeper. That, that dude had a license? Uh, yeah, well, that's debatable. But can I don't you have, remember. Uh, can you have, so could you be a monkey keeper? You can. There's people that work in Hollywood with acting animals, act animal actors, and uh, some of them are illegal animals to have as pets but you can get a permit with these certain uh, qualifications and there are people in this country that quote-unquote own monkeys but they are working monkeys if they're legal back in the day like back in the 60s weren't they shooting monkeys into space that would be your decades there my friend i know <laughs> i was minus 29 at the time no 39 excuse me no, monkeys, monkeys don't seem like they should be, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. They just seem awfully intelligent, you know, to be. But uh, Hollywood gets a special license, huh? Well, how how else are you going to have a monkey in a movie? <laughs> what was... Uh, King the, Kong lived somewhere. Didn't, didn't Ross own a monkey? He did. Uh, Marcel was the same Who? monkey. It was Who the... Ross on Friends. It was the same monkey that was in Ace Ventura and was the rally monkey, therefore, for the Los Angeles oh, Angels of Anaheim. That's a famous monkey. Because that scene came from Ace Ventura. But. You think he felt bad that they cut him from the cast so early in the show's Marcel? Run? Yeah. He was around for like a season. And then what, what did he have a, a sal- went- salary dispute? He wanted too much money? <laughs> Probably so. They, they wrote it that he uh, was adopted by the San Diego Zoo, if I remember yeah. correctly. Was it like Sharona and Monk that she wanted yes. more money? <laughs> I mean, if I, if I was at Ikea and I saw a monkey running down the aisle, uh, my heart would go out. I would think, oh, you okay? You know? He was okay? he was very sad and upset. He was. And what happened was the owner had brought Darwin with him to IKEA, much like you see bad or excuse me, I shouldn't pass judgment. Much like you see people do with their dogs, <laughs> take them to the store and then make them sit in the car while they go in and shop. This is what that owner had done with Darwin and Darwin being a monkey said, uh, uh, I have thumbs. I can get out of this car." And he did so. <laughs> oh man. And went straight into the store. And started, took the elevator? He tried to take the elevator, tried to jump and push the button. He jumped off of a little bench up onto a door handle and tried to open a door. And he was actually kind of scared, it looked like to me. But uh, Poor thing. Coming up next. What, ha- what Jake happened doesn't care. What no, happened No, it's, it's, it's nice. The last I knew is he was with the Toronto Animal Services. But that was eight oh. years ago, like you just heard. Well, what'd they do with him? I, I truly don't know. They... Launched him into space, Gordon. What, what are you looking for? I don't. He he, he ran for mayor. They put him. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know what they happened. gave him a little cigar and a top hat. <laughs> they found a really nice farm for him to live on <laughs> for the rest of his days. They said, "See that playground there? It's got monkey bars." Uh, Sorry. You guys ever been around wild monkeys? Just at the zoo, Gordon. Yeah. Coming up next. Uh, a, a curious move coming out of college football that uh, is also somewhat hilarious. We will get to that straight ahead. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports radio afternoon show. This is The Big Show, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gordon, we have college football news coming out of the SEC. You're going to love this. All right. So uh, LSU is under investigation uh, mm-hmm. from the NCAA and such. Uh, some booster stuff, you know, some uh, not so good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we've seen this from other athletic departments to get out uh, in front of these sorts of things. They do self-imposed penalties, and that way when the NCAA comes in and finds them guilty, they say, oh, but look, we punished ourselves, so... Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. Uh, we'll get this. Uh, LSU, Gordon, has uh, informed. Here, I'll just uh, I'll, I'll read from the statement. Quote, LSU has informed the NCAA and SEC that it will self-impose a one-year postseason ban on its football program for the 2020-2021 bowl season. In addition to self-imposed sanctions already declared, LSU leadership made this decision after careful deliberation and review of the NCAA rules violations that have been discovered in the university's cooperative investigation with the NCAA and the IA, uh, excuse me, IARP. The decision reflects LSU's commitment to compliance with NCAA regulations and uh, maintenance of its institutional control. We regret the impact that this decision has on our current student athletes, but we make it the uh, we make it in the best interest of the football program and university and university. LSU will continue to cooperate with the NCAA and IARP throughout the enforcement process. Unquote. So my immediate reaction to that is that LSU thinks it's going to have a sucky team next year. No, it's this year, and they're three and five, and they're about to be three and six after they lose to Florida over the weekend. Okay, so the penalty is this year. All right. So there is, same same thing. I mean, that's a fact. So yeah, it's no what this kind of penalty. Is, this is a joke. I mean, they weren't going to a bowl game anyway. So yeah. what kind of self-imposed punishment is this? And right. they waited long enough to know that they weren't going to yeah. a bowl game. And then all of a sudden now they're like, oh, you know what? Self-imposed penalty. Boy, we were we were bad boys and girls, and we must be punished. <laughs> Boy, that school's in some trouble because the basketball program is uh, under investigation too, isn't it? Well, if they're below 500 this year, then they'll probably uh, do a self-imposed. Uh, we will not be going to the NCAA tournament this year. And we year. skipped it last year. Everyone well, I'll did. tell you, you know, that's, that's, that's quite the uh, aggressive move on the part of LSU to be so willing to, uh, to penalize itself. I know. It's just, uh, I just can't, uh, I can't believe it. Boy, they are bad this year, though, relative to what. But the, but the point is, I mean, this this type of stuff. How dumb do they think everybody is? Yes. That's <laughs> yeah. that's the big thing. With how dumb do they think that it, this goes hand in hand with that Big Ten statement today? With the what <laughs> the competitive analysis competitive or analysis. something just stupid? Like how dumb 
do these people like the, the athletic director at LSU is like, I know what we're going to do. We're going to do a self-imposed ban. And that way the NCAA will not punish us further. Look how honest and, and forthcoming that we are being bad at Ogeron. Bad. We, as the so, defending national champs, will question, sit out the, the bowl season. We will my, do that voluntarily. Then becomes when they propose this in their meeting, you know, coming up with an idea did everybody in the room bust up laughing? I, I It wouldn't surprise me. Hey, guys, l- listen to what we're going to sell everybody. <laughs> They're so dumb. Good idea. They're so dumb. Did your parents ever let you choose your punishments? No. Uh, probably. Of course. <laughs> hey, the, the options weren't great. Oh, I guess I'll have no brownie for dessert tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I told I you. I need to learn my lesson. I back, do. Back, back when watching TV was uh, a kid's pleasure, I got grounded from the TV for a month. No. I told you guys that story. Not a, a month. month. Not, not a, a month. month of no TV. Of wait, wait a second. You only no, no. How did you no, no. not call child no. services? By, by no Larry standards, Ferrari hour? No. By, by, by today's standards, it would be like taking away all the devices. <laughs> no TV for a month. That was hard. Oh, man. I, no little orphan Annie for you. I would have picked Juvie over no TV <laughs> for a month. Back then, a TV was a big deal. <laughs> Just because I threw the clippers through the picture window, it <laughs> seemed excessive. I would have been in Juvie for doing that. <laughs> now, Gordon, no television for a month. <laughs> Oh, the humanity! Oh, stop it! You didn't know you didn't. Well, you didn't live through that era. You don't know how punitive that was. Yeah, we had television when I was a kid too, actually. Yeah, but by the time you were, you know, and and uh, like uh, by the time I was thousand more well, channels. Yeah, yeah. No, by the time you were, you know, aware of what was going on, you had other. You had uh, computers and phones. And Not stuff really. Like- how, no? how young yeah, do you think right. Jake is? Seriously, you know I'm almost 40, right? The internet was invented when I was almost a teenager. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't get my Wait, first... Wait, that's not true. I didn't get yeah. my first cell phone until I was probably 21, 22 yeah. maybe. Yeah. 2004 for me. I, I didn't have a computer or laptop in college of my own. Oh, I mean, man, how... when I, when, back when I did radio in the mid-90s, we were, we were online. Right. That's I mean, when I was a teenager. We had one <laughs> painfully slow family computer that would load a website <laughs> yeah. one pixel at a time. And you couldn't a dial use up the phone. Yeah. Dial. <laughs> oh, man. So, obviously. All right, so what's, what's the worst punishment you ever got? I don't, I don't know. Come on, what was it? Well, I, I was without TV for a week. No, tell me. Did you get grounded? Uh... They made me use one ply for a week. Yeah, I mean, yeah, grounded. Yeah. How long? I don't know. Certainly weeks at a time. But I'm see, not you, the one. See, I'm... here's the thing: you don't even remember what your punishment was. I remember clearly because it cut so deep. But so, so I'm not the one who, who's pretending to be this giant victim because I couldn't watch television. I, I was just going to say I had my car keys taken away from me for a month. I feel like that the, is a first world punishment right there. Can I tell you the the, the punishment my dad came up with my uh, for my brother once though? I remember this one because I thought this was funny. So what? my my brother got some got in some trouble, and uh, mm. in our backyard there was a 
a hill that was not covered with grass. There's a lot of dirt there. And, and, or, or my dad had extra dirt for some reason. I don't know. He just had a ton of dirt, right? And so he comes to my brother and he says, uh, 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 Mike, who was our neighbor at the time, Mike needs all this dirt in his yard. Your job is to take this, this hundreds and hundreds of pounds of dirt across the street over to Mike's yard. So it took my brother about half a day. And uh, my dad went out there. He said, all right, that's, that's great. Uh, just got a phone call from Mike. He's changed his mind, and uh, that dirt has to go back. <laughs> <laughs> that's diabolical. That dirt has to end up back in our yard. <laughs> that, did he commit murder? What? That's a, that's a life sentence. <laughs> I thought it was a pretty. He still has a herniated disc <laughs> from that day. <laughs> I just think it's funny. Just got off the phone with Mike. That's brilliant. And uh, he doesn't want the dirt anymore, so <laughs> have to get that on back to our house. And I need it here before oh, dark. Man. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll have more big show coming up. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. Wrapping up a big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. Today's gone by fast, Gordo. Maybe that's the sign usually that uh, you've had a pretty good show. Yeah, it's gone by quick. Yourself. Has it been slow for you? No, I'm just kidding. Dragon anchor, huh? Just kidding. It's a lot warmer in the studio uh, now at uh, 5 to 7 than it was at uh, 2. <laughs> we're glad, we're at glad two? about that. You were like sitting on a block of ice, oh, weren't you? It was so cold. You know, Scotty and Hans, uh, they, they like it a little bit cooler. But I, I think they did this one today just to torture me. All right, I got a question for you, Jake. Oh, boy. Uh and uh, I'm sure you'll get this right. But apparently Vegas has odds on which NBA teams are most likely to make the playoffs. And I want you to name for me the teams that you think are in front of the Utah Jazz with the best odds. Uh, let's see here. I got to go the Lakers. Okay. Uh, the uh, Clippers. Uh-huh. The just Western Conference? No, whole league. Uh, the Nuggets? Yep. The Mavericks? Yeah, you're out of order, but that's uh, yeah. out of order. No, this isn't the you order. You wanted me to go in order? No. What are no. you trying to do here? This whole courtroom's out of order. <laughs> How many have I named? Four. How many are there total? Ten. Uh, the Blazers? No. Yeah, just tell. We, 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 we don't have it. All right, I'll read you. I'll read you the list in order, okay? Because the orders will surprise me. But uh, well, I mean, tied at the top are the Clippers and the Lakers, and then the Bucks, then the Nets, then the Celtics, then the Heat, then the Nuggets, then the Raptors, then the Sixers, then the Mavs, and then your Jazz. This uh, this got to be kind of like the clock game on the Price is Right for a minute there. Oh, I just uh, I'm, the, I wonder a little bit about the Sixers and I wonder about the Mavs too. I mean, I know they have Doncic and all that stuff, but uh, are the Jazz being undersold here? Or uh, I know, I know it's they're just setting a line. I get that, but what do you think? Um, I think there are a bunch of Eastern Conference teams on there because they're automatically going to make the playoffs because the East stinks. <laughs> 
I, I don't I don't really read teams. into any of the rankings because of course Philly's going to make the playoffs, Gordon. Because it, who are they competing with? Yeah, there is that. But other the than Hornets? the Sixers, other than the Sixers, the other teams are pretty darn good. The Raptors and the Heat, the Celtics. But this is odds they're the going to make the playoffs. The Bucks. Of course they're going to make the playoffs. In the Western <laughs> Conference, there's going to be ten good teams. So automatically, your chances of not making the playoffs are higher based on the conference that you play in. So I don't, I don't really read a whole yeah. lot into it, to be honest. All right. Well, the teams, are, a couple of the teams that are uh, beneath the Jazz, as far as the likelihood where Vegas thinks uh, whether they're going to make the the playoffs or not. Golden State, obviously, the Clay Thompson news has an effect on that. Uh, the Pacers, the Blazers, and the Suns, and the Rockets are another three or four notches down. So. Uh, not a whole lot of faith that the Rockets are going to be uh, in any kind of shape to make the playoffs. All right, Gordo, you enjoy your evening, sir. We'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, I'll look forward to it. It's a big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.